It's so tough to win in the league, and that's, I said it earlier, I think we can beat anybody. But when you win a couple in a row, it starts giving you some confidence. Now I'm playing against some better football teams down the stretch that uh, we can go to Miami and win. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. You know, I'm a fan of sports radio just as much as I am a sports radio host. I love listening to sports radio. And today and yesterday and the day before, I... I've been listening to other shows, and I've just thought, oh, my God, I'm glad we don't talk about that on my show. This happens a lot, where I'll listen to other shows and be like, my God, I'm glad that I, for whatever reason, don't talk about that on my show. I'm glad that my listeners don't care about that. This week, it's the Pro Bowl. I'm just so glad that it hasn't even been on our radar from four to six the last couple of nights. It's not that it's not a good accomplishment for players who make it. I just, I haven't thought about it. I haven't taken a single call on it. I haven't seen a text. I haven't seen a tweet. And I'm really glad. Like today, I saw a lot of people on Twitter. And this is Tua, so Tua's kind of this weird lightning rod for debate online. But everyone's like, Tua's first in this, first in this, first in this. Didn't make the Pro Bowl. I'm so glad I don't have to care about that. I saw Adam Rank popping off on Twitter today about, should Justin Fields have been in the Pro Bowl over Geno Smith and this guy, that guy? I'm like, I'm so glad that I'm not writing that into my show notes for tonight about a Packer player. Like, Jair Alexander made it. And then there were a couple of alternates, which I didn't know until three minutes ago when I Googled it. Elton Jenkins was named an alternate. Okay. Kenny Clark, Aaron Jones, Keyshawn Nixon, Aaron Rodgers, and Preston Smith. Okay. Again, very, very, very glad. Very glad that very glad that we're not caring about the Pro Bowl this week. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. We're going to talk about some other things that makes me very happy that we're not going to talk about the Pro Bowl. Two guests tonight. Two heavy hitters, baby. We're going to talk about baseball. Yes, baseball with J.R. Radcliffe. He writes for the Journal Sentinel. He's their trending sports reporter. His Twitter is great. You should follow him at J.R. Radcliffe if you don't already. I don't know that he specializes in any one team or any one thing. He's the trending sports reporter. I typically see him tweeting mostly about the Brewers. Maybe that's just what I see, but that's kind of where my following leans with JR. He's going to join us at 4.30 to talk about the Brewers offseason so far, especially as it relates to what the Mets have done and what the Mets have done and what the Mets did this offseason kind of culminated yesterday and and the night before and, and the day before, just kind of around Wednesday and Tuesday of this week in giving a boatload of money to Carlos Correa. Right. So we're going to talk about that with J.R. Radcliffe. He will join us in about a half hour. Mike Clemens will join us to talk Packers at 530. So two heavy hitters, two great guests. I'm excited to talk with them both. 608-796-2558. If you want to call and text and be a part of the show, you can find me on Twitter as well at Wisco Grant. It is Thursday. It is four o'clock. So we're going to begin the show for a couple minutes. Stepping into the NBA lounge. If you're new here, welcome. You've made the correct decision joining this show every night from 4 to 6. During basketball season on Thursdays, we start 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes by talking about the NBA, stepping into a, a very swanky establishment here, the NBA Lounge. I was hoping for a good Bucks win last night. 
so we could take a victory lap to start tonight's show. I thought it would have been a great way to start tonight's proceedings. Last week, when they beat the Warriors on Tuesday, I remember on Wednesday we talked about that win. The best way that I could describe that win is like a satisfying, well-portioned meal. Had a little meat, little veggies, maybe a little rice, right? Maybe a, a sliced up apple for dessert. Wow, that's great. That was satisfying, and I feel like I, I did a good thing by eating. That's how I felt about the Bucks beating the Warriors. A, a satisfying, well-portioned meal. And I was hoping for the same as the Bucks went into Cleveland last night. Unfortunately, we didn't get that win. They lost 114-106. They won the third quarter, won the fourth quarter, right? They shrunk the Cavs' lead in the second quarter, although they didn't win the second quarter. They just lit the first quarter on fire. They actually played okay last night, if not for lighting that first quarter on fire. They had a million turnovers, couldn't defend in transition, couldn't secure rebounds on the defensive end. However, however, the Bucs are in first place in the East. They're the best team in the NBA. Chris Middleton is on the mend. Joe Ingles is back and playing his way into basketball shape and playing his way into the flow of this team. Pat Connaughton looks more comfortable by the game, which is huge. For a couple reasons. Number one, Pat Connaughton is the one role player on this team that I feel good about trusting consistently night in and night out to hit three-point shots. Grayson Allen's three-point shot going to ebb and flow. Bobby Portis, much of the same. George Hill, Marjan Beauchamp. These guys, depends on the night, right? And that's the case for most NBA role players. Pat Connaughton, I put him a little bit higher on the totem pole. He's a tier above. I do count on him to shoot a certain level of of three-point shot every night. I think that team, this team needs it. So he brings that reliable, consistent shooting. He's a really good cutter, right? And Grayson has shown great improvement in this over the last couple weeks. We've talked about it on the show, but Pat Connaughton, not afraid to go to the rim. And then depending on how he can manipulate the defense with those drives, find alleyways for Giannis to duck and dunk. Same with Brooke and others. Brooke's playing well. Giannis is scoring 40 points night in, night out. The Bucs are the one seed, despite losing to the Cavs last night, despite taking it on the chin in Memphis about a week ago. It's really impressive that they're still the one seed because of the road trip that they're on. Justin Garcia tweeted this, and I saved this last week, when they embarked on this road trip starting in Memphis. This road trip included all opponents who were combined 60 and 16 at home. And the Bucks are probably going to take a couple of losses on this road trip as they did in Memphis, as they did last night, because they're facing excellent competition in their building, teams that play really well at home, Right. And yet the Bucs, after one week of this road trip, are still the number one seed in the NBA. It's really impressive. It's also really impressive because the rest of the Eastern Conference is unreal. And that's what I want to focus on in the NBA lounge tonight. Right? You know how people say is a bit, I hear this on Pardon My Take sometimes, I see it on Twitter, when people say, this league! Whenever something crazy happens, whenever anybody requests a trade, whenever anyone hits a buzzer beater, it's like, man, this league! That is tired. Tired is this league. Wired is this conference. The Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference is going nuts right now. The Eastern Conference at this moment in time looks far superior to the West. And maybe we can talk about the West in comparison to the East, but I want to talk about some of these teams. Basically, everyone's on a winning streak except Boston, but Boston is really good. They're 22 and 10. They're just slightly behind. They're half a game behind the Bucs. They play this weekend on Christmas at four. Can't wait for that game. Boston is really good. I can't stand them, but I call balls and strikes as a host of this show. That's a damn good team. They've lost three in a row. I was just reading Jay King's piece from last night. The Celtics lost to the Pacers. 
and they're evaluating some things right now. They're having to look in the mirror, have a little gut check, but still they're 22 and 10. And they're a half game from being the top seeded team in the NBA right now. Boston's really good. The Cavs are great. They're 22 and 11. They've won five in a row. And the coolest thing about Cleveland, and if you're a basketball fan outside of the scope of just the Bucks, this is why the Cavaliers are cool. And this is why what they've done over the last few years is really cool. They're still growing, right? They paired Donovan Mitchell this offseason with Darius Garland. They had Darius Garland, who is our point guard, said, we're going to bring in Donovan Mitchell. And we're going to let those two grow together and learn how to play together. And I don't know if you've watched the Cavs, but it's going pretty well. They're doing the exact same thing with Evan Mobley, who's only 21. They drafted him third overall out of USC. They paired him with Jared Allen. They got this buddy system going on, and it's brilliant. They have this long runway to grow and contend, pairing Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and pairing Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And because they have these strong duos, both in the front court and the back court, other players on the roster look like they've settled into their role really well. How many of you turned on last night's game and thought, oh, Kevin Love's still playing and he looks pretty good? Yeah, because Kevin Love is playing in a defined, established role alongside some of these younger, talented scorers. Kevin Love was plus 17 last night. He's an effective basketball player in the role in which the Cavs ask him to play. Isaac Okoro, much of the same. When Mobley and Jared Allen are doing their thing and Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are doing their thing, well, now Isaac Okoro can duck rebound and cut and do all of the other things. He's not asked to score. He's not asked to space the floor like maybe he was last year. Now he's gotten better, but he's still a limited player, but limited is okay when you have this great, young, talented, dynamic core that the Cavs have put together. The Cavs are really good. One five in a row, including last night. Brooklyn, don't look now, but the Nets are fourth in the East. They're 20 and 12 and they've won seven straight games. It's amazing what happens when they're just a basketball team and they get rid of the soap opera stuff and they just play. And I mean, play literally in that Kevin Durant's playing Kyrie Irving for the most part has played, although he's missed time. Same with Ben Simmons, same with Joe Harris. Like guys have missed time. That's a structural hazard in the NBA. Guys are just going to miss games. But when you cut out the drama and your players play for the most part, this team's actually pretty talented. They're 11 and one in their last 12 games. They scored 91 points in the first half last night. Kevin Durant is doing some wild things. And maybe next week we can talk about some of the Durant stats because they're wild. And if the Nets keep winning and they keep ascending and they keep building, might be able to put together an MVP case for KD. We'll see. See, I'm not going to go there yet. I'm just waving a little flag saying, hey, remember this. We might come back to this. Durant's putting up some wild numbers. And I like what I hear from him. I've been watching some press conference clips. The things that Kevin Durant is saying about Jock Vaughn, the coach, the things that he's saying about the team at large, He's very aware. He's very self-aware. Very honest, but very self-aware, including, you know, he was asked last night, I believe, or maybe it was a couple nights ago. He was asked about what a Knicks-Nets matchup would look like on Christmas. And he's like, look, we probably would have got a Knicks-Nets matchup on Christmas if I hadn't requested a trade this summer and there wasn't uncertainty about my placement on this team. The NBA didn't feel confident enough to give us a Christmas Day game. I was like, wow, that's very self-aware. That's very honest. And now that Brooklyn has cut out a lot of the drama, hey, turns out they're a pretty good basketball team. They've won 11 of their last 12. Another team that's winning. Look at the Sixers. The Sixers have won six in a row. Now, to be fair to the Sixers and, you know, to be fair to the NBA Lounge, which is a place where we have honest 
very subjective basketball conversation. They beat the Lakers, who aren't very good. They beat the Hornets, who are terrible. They beat the Warriors, who are down bad. They beat the Raptors, who are underwhelming. I thought the Raptors were going to be better this year. Now it's early. It's very early. But I didn't think the Raptors would be four games under 500. I thought maybe Scotty Barnes would take a little bit of a leap. Maybe I was premature. Again, the season's young. Moving on. They also beat the Pistons. The Pistons stink. But Embiid is going wild. And while I don't really respect the Sixers, I think if you put them in the West, they'd be the best team hands down right now. I know the Grizzlies are younger. I I don't believe in the Warriors. You talk about the Nuggets. I'm not really sure I believe in them either. You put the Sixers in the West, they might be the best team in the West. Although I don't respect them. They have star power. They have experience. James Harden is averaging 23, 5, and 11 on like 40% three-point shooting since he's come back. Joel Embiid's playing like an MVP. And Tobias Harris exists, remember? Yeah, he's on this team too. (laughs) I remind you because I consistently forget. The last team in the East, the Knicks. The Knicks had won eight in a row until last night. Jalen Brunson is working. All of a sudden, Knicks fans are like, man, praise the Lord. We have to thank the Lord. We have to thank Mark Cuban and the Raptors, or not the Raptors, but the Mavericks for letting him go. Jalen Brunson is doing great things for the Knicks. The Knicks are winning. And in the month of December, they're first in total wins. They're first in net rating. They're second in defensive rating. And they're fourth in offensive rating. A Tibbs renaissance in New York. And I say renaissance because Tibbs has gone from place to place. And he succeeded right away. But typically, he wears out his welcome. And things kind of degrade as time goes along. Maybe a little... Jim Harbaugh in that perspective, right? Where it pops right away, everyone buys in, and then he's a little abrasive, maybe starts to wear out his welcome. We haven't seen this before, or I haven't seen this, where Tibbs takes over a team, you get that Tibbs bump, then things start to decay, and then are we getting a second bump? The Knicks had won eight in a row until last night, and they're having a crazy good month of December. Will it last? Who knows? But as of right now, the Bucks look great. Boston is great, although they don't look their best at the moment. The Cavs have won five in a row. Brooklyn's won 11 of 12. The Sixers have won six in a row. And the Knicks are one of the best teams in basketball in the month of December. Look at the East. Look at this conference go. The East is on one. And right now, if you ask me who's the best team in the East, well, you can make the case for the Bucs. I think that's the easy answer. You could make the case for the Celtics. But if you were to tell me that Cleveland's going to continue to get better, Mobley takes a step and really makes some noise, and if Cleveland's going to make and contend in a conference finals, I'd believe it. I don't really believe it with the Sixers. Not sure about Brooklyn. Kevin Durant is that man. I need to see a little bit more. I need to see that they can keep their hands clean. And I need to see they prevent, you know, prevent themselves from being a soap opera for the next couple of months. You can make a case for a couple of teams in the East. Now, some teams are easier to argue for than others. But still, if you eliminate conferences, a fundamental exercise for us fans of the league to do. And Christmas, think about this over Christmas, too. This is a good thought exercise. Eliminate conferences. Take away conferences and say the best 16 teams make the playoffs, regardless of conference. And we had to do a draft of teams that we believe would win the title. How many teams come off the board before you pick a team from the West? You take the Bucks, you take the Celtics, okay? At what point are you saying Nuggets? Before or after the Cavs? I take the Cavs first. At what point are you saying Clippers? Hmm. Clipper, that's, that's a lottery ticket. Maybe, but I don't know. I don't think the Clippers are as sure of a thing as the Cavs. I don't know. Brooklyn looks really good. Now, Brooklyn has their question marks, but fewer, I'd say, than the Clippers. 
How many teams, if you were to eliminate conferences and start one big March Madness style NBA playoff tournament, and you had to draft teams, go around in a circle and draft teams to pick to win who's going to win the tournament? How many teams come off the board before you pick one from the West? Just challenge yourself to try to come up with that answer. Try to rank the teams as title favorites. Excluding, of course, the idea that Cleveland would have to go through the Bucks or the Celtics. No, let's just say one big round-robin March Madness tournament. We got to pick winners. How many teams are you picking before you pick one from the West? Think about that. Fun exercise to do in the back of your mind while you try to ignore your relatives on Sunday and watch some football and watch some basketball. Let's take a break. I have one more NBA item that I want to hit. It's our boy Johnny Davis. I, I just... Man, he's catching strays on podcasts. I got a clip from The Low Post that I want to play you coming up next. We can talk a little more bucks, and then we're going to get to J.R. Radcliffe, the Journal Sentinel. Coming up in a few on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. of the NBA lounge, although my heart lives in the NBA lounge 24-7, 365, seven days a week. It was fun to talk about the East. The Eastern Conference is going nuts right now. And for years and years and years, the national media, the lamestream media, the four-letter network mocked my Eastern Conference. Well, the, the West is just so much harder than the East. Who's the best team in the West right now? Go ahead. Hit me with it. The Nuggets? Ugh. Okay. All right. Go off. The Clippers? All right. We'll flip a coin. We'll see. They're either in the lottery or they're a final state. Go ahead. Flip a coin. Like no country for old men. Heads or tails? Go ahead. Yeah. Spin that roulette wheel. The Grizzlies? All right. Sure. Well, make a conference finals and then we'll talk. The Pelicans? Oh, okay. All right. Again, make the second round. Then we'll, then we'll talk. A lot of question marks in the West. You know, the East is full of polished, polished contenders. This conference is coming for Knicks right now. Knicks had won eight in a row until last night. Best team in basketball in the month of December. Sixers have won six in a row. Brooklyn's won 11 of 12. The Cavs have won five in a row. Boston's really good, although they've lost a couple now. And the Bucks are just doing their thing. They're fighting through a tough road trip. They're fighting through guys missing time. And they have the best record in the NBA. And the best player in the NBA. Life like this sure is sweet, ain't it? Eastern Conference folk. I do feel a weird sense of loyalty to the Eastern Conference. Very similar to the way I do in the Big Ten in bowl season. 608-796-2558. Chuck texts in and says, WTH, audio sucks. Well, I wouldn't know anything about that, Chuck. Uh, if you're listening to a staticky radio, that's um might just be radio might not be me. Sounds clear on this end, but if there truly is something wrong that I need to fix, uh, let me know. Thank you for the text, Chuck. You can also tweet me, at Wisco Grant. Badgers game is canceled this week against Grambling State. I feel like a clown, because I did a detailed breakdown of that game with Corn Roller earlier this week. I don't even remember what we said. (laughs) I, I don't. I don't remember what we said. We talked about Grambling State. Was there some player... Who is on some watch list or some player on Grambling who is local to the state of Wisconsin? I, I don't know. I don't know. 
Zach Heilbrin, our friend Zach, said in his update just 20 minutes ago or so. Holy smokes, jazz music still playing. Zach Heilbrin said in his update about 20 minutes ago that Wisconsin's going to look to replace that game. They're going to look to find someone. Hey, lots of nasty competition in the WIAC. Call up one of these schools. You know, call up UWL, call up UWO Claire, UW Green Bay, UW Milwaukee. Rematch with Marquette? Huh? Interesting. Might be kind of fun. I don't want to do that again. We already beat him at home. I don't need to. I don't need to beat him twice. Let Marquette have their fun. They're ranked. They're they're having a good time. Let them be. You call Wyack School? I'm definitely. I'm I'm all about it. Another. I I wish they did a whole invitational. They should do a Wiac invitational and then also let the Badgers come in and play too. Why not? I'd be about it. I like that crossover game that they do at the beginning of the year. So Badgers against Grambling is canceled. And speaking of Badgers. I was listening to the Low Post the other night, which is Zach Lowe's podcast. While we're talking about the NBA, I thought I'd bring this up. I was listening to the Low Post, Zach Lowe and Bobby Marks. And they're doing what every NBA podcaster is doing this week, and they're talking about uh, trade candidates. Well, which teams might be looking to be buyers? Which teams might be sellers? That's an original idea. Not, not every podcast is doing that this week. Uh, could you could you try to predict which teams might be selling and which teams might be buying? I, I don't know why my default NBA podcast voice just turned into Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. <laughs> could you could you try to predict which teams might be buyers and sellers before the deadline? <laughs> That's what everyone's doing this week. So I spared you on the NBA lounge from doing buyers and sellers. But Johnny Davis, our guy, not even catching a stray, catching direct fire because the Wizards stink. Now, Johnny Davis might also stink, but the Wizards stink. So these two guys are beating up on Johnny Davis for no reason. Get a, get a look at this. I mean, Johnny Davis, who they drafted this past year, hasn't he's, I mean, he's averaging like six minutes a game. So, I Bobby, know. I don't watch college basketball. I just don't have time. Yeah. Can you confirm that Johnny Davis is a real person? Like, did they, <laughs> He's did not they, the former did, coach. He's not. <laughs> did, did they just get on the clock and not know who to pick and just like make up? Is he a movie character? And they just thought it would be funny to draft a fictional person. I, I, I he could walk in front of my house right now and be like, hey, Zach, I'm Johnny Davis from the Wizards. I just happen to be in your neighborhood. I would have no idea who it was. They'd be like, were you drafted this year? <laughs> Meanwhile, Memphis, who I think we're going to talk about later, yeah. they're just like, who of our young guys wants to play? Well, you, Laravia, you want to play? Sure. Roddy, you want to play? Sure. We play everybody all the time. And like Johnny yeah. Davis can't get on the floor for a team that stinks. Uh, well, that wasn't. It wasn't all that fun to listen to. I got the, the link from NBA Reddit sent to me by one of our hardcore listeners here in lacrosse. Sam sent that to me a couple nights ago, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to listen to this podcast. The problem is, like I said, I didn't really want to go listen to the low post because I'd already listened to Simmons, who did the same exact pod with Rob Mahoney. And I, I just, there's too many podcasts. There's too much content. And everyone thinks that they're so creative. They're executing the same ideas. I, I thought this week we'd we'd get together and, and record a podcast. Uh, Christmas season means the start of trade season. So why why don't we try to figure out which teams might be buyers and which teams might be sellers? Oh. I could have listened to a dozen NBA podcasts at least. Did this exact same thing. And I listened to Simmons and Mahoney and it was good. And I, I had my film and Sam sent me the link on Reddit to this quote. I'm like, oh, now I'm going to have to listen to Lowen and Marks and figure out why they're slamming Johnny Davis. Well, it's because Johnny Davis plays for a terrible team, and yet he can't get on the floor. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Alec and Menominee, UW-Green Bay is not WIAC, just FYI. Thank you, 
Alec. It's Horizon League, isn't it? Am I am I correct on that? I think, I believe. Breacher says AM side is fine, but FM side is weird, kind of robotic sounds. Well, I would imagine that something somewhere has ice on it. There's also a lot of power outages today. And I know there's been power outages south of La Crosse, which is where the KTY Tower is, Breacher, so maybe that's why I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not an engineer, okay? Talking in this voice is kind of fun. This is about to be a problem. This is about to be a problem. But when we come back, we're going we're gonna to talk to J.R. Radcliffe at the Journal Sentinel. He's our trending sports reporter. And you know what's trending this week in my mind, other than the Packers and other than the NBA Lounge? Baseball. Steve Cohen is a madman. What does it mean for the Brewers? What does it mean for us? We'll discuss with J.R. Radcliffe. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You cannot stop me from playing Christmas music. Can't take away my Christmas. Can't take away Andy Williams. We're going to talk to Mike Clemens in an hour, do some Packers stuff after 5 o'clock. Joining us now, J.R. Smith. Not J.R. Smith. <laughs> NBA on the brain. Sorry. Uh, effects of the NBA lounge. J.R. Radcliffe of the Journal Sentinel. I spoke with him earlier today about the spending spree of Steve Cohen, what it means for the Brewers, what it means for baseball, and we were just kicking around some fun Brewers offseason topics. So J.R. Radcliffe, follow him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. Here's our conversation from earlier today. J.R. Radcliffe is here. Journal Sentinel. You can find him on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. He's the trending sports reporter, which I believe you explained last time you were on the show. We talked Brewers the last time you were on. And J.R., I know it's Packers season, but I think people are a little worn out by the hand signal business. So I'm, I'm trying to zig this week when everyone else is zagging. Well, sounds good, because where I'm sitting, the uh, the world is slowly ending around me and supposedly ending <laughs> even more so. So it's a great time to think about the summer. Yeah, and, uh, to think about to think about baseball and green grass and all that. I was looking at spring training dates earlier today, so I'm I'm already thinking ahead. And I, I don't know if the Brewers are going to be any good next year. We can talk about that in a few minutes. I've been talking baseball a little bit this week because of the Correa news, right? The Mets go out and they give him a pile of money. And yesterday on my show, I, I'm explaining how absurd this is because they already gave Francisco Lindor this insane deal, and then they went and gave Correa an insane deal. And they play the same position, which is like the anti-Brewers, right? The Brewers will find someone, regardless of position, if it works. The Mets are like, well, we'll just get two really good shortstops and make it work to spend more money rather than to save money like the Brewers did. From a Brewers perspective and from someone who covers the Brewers and someone who's a Brewers fan as I am, like, what do you think when you see this? Because the reaction from Brewers fans, fans of a small market, has been really interesting. Lots of different takes on this. Yeah, I I mean, I think it... I think it's understandable if people are despairing a little bit because if even if it's just one owner, one ultra rich owner driving up prices across, you know, across free agency, across the landscape of free agency, like Steve Cohen kind of is that that's bad news for the smaller market teams. You know, the (laughs) baseball is kind of a paradox. Like it is true that you don't have to spend that much money and you can just get into the postseason, just do what it takes to get in the postseason and you win the first round. You can beat a team that makes a you know that that has a ridiculous you know ten times your payroll, and you can beat them three nothing in the NLDS. Yeah. So like that randomness allows for someone like a casual Brewer fan to just still have that hope. You know, no matter how much other teams are spending, 
as long as the Brewers are competitive, they have a chance to actually, you know, they, they have a chance to go to the World Series. They could have been a World Series team last year, and we know this because they finished a game behind the team that went to the World Series from the National League. Yeah. But on the other hand, if 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 spending is getting this out of whack, you know, eventually you're going to get to a point where there are, again, pretty stark differences between the haves and have-nots. And the Brewers are, are, are a have-not spender who's still been a have on the field for the last, you know, five, six years. But you could see that coming to an end if, if, if you know, teams are going to have to keep up with Steve Cohen. And the teams like the Yankees and the Angels and the Dodgers and maybe the Cubs, they're going to be able to do that. The Brewers are, are never going to be in that position. So it's it's a little it's a little troubling. I mean, it doesn't rule out anything for the Brewers. It doesn't mean that they're they're not going to be competitive going forward. It just uh, it just it just is a, it's a bad long term omen certainly. And in the short term, it also is frustrating because you already know the Brewers aren't going to be big players for those big those big free agent names. Yeah. But if the Mets take like eight of them. Well, now the next tier down is going to go to the Yankees, Angels, Dodgers, Cubs. And now what's left for the Brewers? You know, you're going to get guys who are 37 years old coming off of wrist surgery. You know, like that's the best that they're going to have available to them. So the Mets, yes, the Mets are just (laughs) hoarding it all. And uh, and and that's gonna that's ultimately gonna trickle down and be a problem for Milwaukee for sure. It's like trickle down economics if the top layer just takes it all. Which I like. This is not a political or an economic statement by me. I don't. <laughs> I'm not qualified or smart enough to talk about economics. But it, like the theory of trickle down economics is great, and I think the same in baseball. Except if the top spender just takes every. Well, then nothing is trickling down. Like you said, this stat blew my mind, Jr. As I was kind of trying to, because these numbers are so gaudy, I, I wanted to write down some of these fun factoids. And this is from Peter Bodie, I believe is how you say it, of the New York Post. The Mets 2023 payroll is the equivalent of the combined payrolls of the A's, Orioles, Rays, Pirates, Royals, Guardians, Brewers, Marlins, Reds, and Twins. And that doesn't <laughs> count the luxury tax that Steve Cohen's going to pay. Like, I know that the Brewers can't spend that much money, and I know that some of these teams pay exorbitant amount of, of money to free agents for long-term deals. This blows my mind. As someone who follows this stuff closely, I have a hard time believing this. Yeah, and some of those teams are not tanking you know some of the yeah. some of those some of them are but some of them are legitimately trying to compete and yeah. and we can argue about whether or not they're doing a good enough faith job trying to compete if they should be spending more and that's part of it is that there there's a lot of celebration of steve cohen because he is up in the ante and he is in theory encouraging other owners to get more involved and to spend more money and to really actively try to win and and maybe it will rise the boats in the same tide that way but i don't I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to get teams like the Brewers just getting more entrenched in. We have to be, be more creative about finding ways to win. Teams like the Rays. And don't get me wrong, that can be effective. It's still the lifeblood of Major League Baseball teams is still your farm system. Yep. Still guys on those early con- contracts. And in that way, all the teams are equal to, to, to some regard. But, <laughs> but I mean, if, if you're just completely unable to improve your team around the edges because the Mets and a select five teams are soaking up all, you know, all the major contracts, you know, at some point that that's certainly going to pay off and it's going to require, you know, it's going to require you being creative in ways that ultimately just doesn't, isn't effective for you to, to, to be a consistent winner year in and year out. And then more than that, it's just, you know, the, your odds are just really low. You're going to need all the stars to align to, to go on a run to the world series. You're going to need everything to go right. The Mets can have so many things go wrong. I mean, this is tales old as time, but yeah, they, they can they can absorb major injuries and and lose guys and still have you know a hundred and fifty million dollar guy stepping in as their utility man. So it's uh you know it, it's 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 a bummer if you're a Brewers fan. It's it's not necessarily what you want. Obviously, the solution in a perfect world is everybody spends more money and the teams compete that way. But 
Unfortunately, we just have a lot of data. We know that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen in a lot of places. Some of those cities you just mentioned among them. I, I think the stat that threw me off was, I think the Brewers since 1991, I don't remember the exact figure, total free agency amount of money spent is $170 million less than the Mets spent this year. Yeah. Uh, which isn't even like that mind-boggling, I guess, when you really think about it, but it's still it's still just like we're talking about two different playing fields. The Mets spent more in free agency in one night, $315 million, than the Pirates have spent since 2010 at $207 million. Like, I was just whipping through Twitter, just saving as many of these interesting facts as possible. None of them seem real. It really is quite something. And look, I want to celebrate the Brewers making this Contreras trade in a vacuum. This is a great trade. I have a problem with Asterio Ruiz and how he came to be on this team, right? And and we can, well, I don't want to relitigate the hater deal right now. If you just look at this trade in a vacuum, the Brewers made an incredibly shrewd move to get better at a position of need, a player that's going to be on the team at a controllable cost for a while. It's a great deal. But then you watch what some of these other teams do. It's like, oh. So I, I'm trying to think of an analogy, like a real-world analogy on, on like, a, a real-life situation that would match this. But the Brewers have to be so deflated, and I think fans are too. The Brewers made maybe the best possible deal they could with what they have and what they need. And then next to what else is going on, it just seems like nothing. I, th- I mean, that's a really good point. They, they basically... They didn't have to spend a lot of money. They didn't have to give up any players. Mm-hmm. And they massively upgraded at one spot on the diamond. One of the big, like, three or four things they absolutely needed. Yes. And you're right. It would be nice to feel good about that. And then at the same time, they haven't spent a dime trying to get a, a major league baseball player on this team. Now, now that all might be coming, and we're probably entering the part of the offseason where I, I certainly still expect the Brewers to, to, to sign a couple guys. But, you know, it's disheartening. You would think that, oh, they made an incredible move. This frees up resources to do other things. Well, they, have, they haven't done other things. And, and, yes, maybe they still will, but they haven't. They've sat out the, the front end of free agency. So they're not, they're not using that extra money theoretically saved or saved for the fact that they're not paying Lorenzo Cain anymore or Andrew McCutcheon anymore. They're not using the money to do anything else. So either their payroll stays the same, which is by its very nature falling behind because everybody else's is going up or it goes back a little bit. Like, we don't know right now how that ultimately looks, and you can't really complain about it until we know the full picture. But it's definitely, you know, how, how do you get excited when you're not seeing – you're seeing you're seeing a step forward with William Contreras, but then step back because everybody else is adding players. The, the, the contenders are adding players, and, and the Brewers aren't. Well, hey, JR, let's not say they're not doing anything with this money. We have a couple fun announcements over the last couple of weeks. The restaurant to be named later has been named. I was – weirdly way more excited about that than I should have been. I don't know why. Maybe it was like satirical that I was really amped about that, but it's the lining kugels barrel lumber yard tap house pour room or something. Uh, And like, I I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but that's cool. And now we have the four one force. I don't remember what they were called before, but that's exciting as well. This team is moving and shaking. Come on. Now hiring is the 414. You can be a member of the 414 today and play some X-Golf while you're there. Um, tough spot for Brewers marketing right now because the team did come off. I mean, the 2022 season is is woeful. Like, yeah. it, it's so disappointing. And and there's nothing – like, I was talking about this with, with Kurt Hogue, my colleague at the Journal Sentinel. Like, what are we going to remember Kurt. about 2022? At least 2016, as bad as that season was, had – well, it was sort of the last bad year before they got good again. Like 2022 was supposed to be something completely different than it was. There's no storyline that you really come through. Maybe Corbin Burns continuing to be dominant. Maybe Devin Williams taking a step forward. But I don't know if even those things like it's just there's nothing we're going to remember about 2022. So it's so frustrating to to think about it. You know, the Brewers have got to do what they got to do, promoting various other things. But it's sort of like, yeah, we don't care about any of that because the team is not is, is not getting better. And 
you know, the team isn't even talking. We haven't even had like a William Contreras press conference or anything to really like sort of cement his his arrival in Milwaukee yet. And, and again, I'm sure there's good reasons for all that stuff. It's just it is a tough spot to market this team right now because people are really down on them. They're down on the product. It, the, the attendance has shown that, you know, they've, they've gone backwards. Hard to find on TV. Hard to know what their direction is right now. New yeah. GM not seeing a lot. It's it's. Yeah, it's kind of a it's a little bit of a void right now in uh, in Brewers land. Are we sure that Contreras is that amped to be joining Milwaukee? Like, I don't know, the broken heart emojis. It's a bummer to get traded and, and leave your city and leave your friends. But if I'm Contreras, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go there. Th- this hater trade, JR, and I don't mean to keep bringing it up. We don't need to relitigate it. But I, I think it had this effect where it became open season on the Brewers a little bit where all of these players and past players were like, they were okay with voicing why this is effed up. And then that led to you know, voicing, uh, you know, a complaint about this and that. Like, the Brewers two years ago seemed like this great franchise. They would bring in players and get the most out of them. Players would come to Milwaukee and find success that they hadn't previously found, and it felt like we are in a great spot. And that hater trade, it feels like, crossed a line in the sand where now they're viewed differently, both by their fans and by former and current players of the team. I think that's fair. I think that's a moment in time because okay. the hater trade does seem to be the the sort of precipice of when everything went wrong whether whether that's correlation or causation i will never know but right now with with how bad 2022 went it feels much worse than i think it ultimately will be felt i think if you'd gotten to the offseason if the brewers had still finished as they did the disappointing season you get to the offseason and it's josh Hader getting traded for william Contreras and robert gosser and maybe a couple other relievers or something i think it's it's definitely a, a trade to talk about but it isn't universally panned it's it's oh that's that's interesting okay i can see what they're doing there you know dealing from strength or to, to get a weakness like i i could see that so i I do feel like the deal with, with getting getting what they got for Asturi Ruiz, it, it, it has softened sort of the overall package to it. Um, I also just think that the team torpedoing, you know, if, if they make the playoffs and let's say they win, a, they, they get to the NLCS again, yeah, people are still going to talk about the hater trade because there's still going to be a blown save here, a blown save there in the playoffs that matter. But I, I still think it it probably goes away to to some degree. It's 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 all about it's all about the team just not winning, and winning will cure everything. And if they come back in 2023 and they win a bunch of games, the Josh Hader storyline will go away. But but it was a bad move. They acknowledged it was a bad move. You know, yeah. no one no one shooting it. It, it definitely didn't go how they thought it was going to go. A lot of fans wondering what they were thinking would happen in the first place, and I get that. I I was among them. I, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure I understand it. But uh, you know, I, I do think if they come back and succeed, I think the hater trade dissipates a little bit in the collective memory. If they don't, yeah, maybe 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 we're talking about it for years and years. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. Um, you might not have a strong take on this. Something that I've been really interested in, and we can finish with this. So this Carlos Correa signing goes down. And the other team in New York, the Yankees, right? It, it seems like they're being out evil empired by the Mets. And I'm, <laughs> I'm very interested. Look, I don't know any Yankees fans, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see when Aaron Judge resigned. All of these reports that Judge was going to take a little bit of a hometown discount to come to the Yankees. And I remember seeing that and be like, wait a minute. If I was a Yankees fan, I'm pissed. Like, we are not the team that takes hometown dis like we are the team that forces other teams to to have to sign a hometown discount or other players and now yesterday i see hal steinbrenner talking about this is great for new york two teams that are competing and then he was talking and the new york post might have played this up a little bit as as maybe clickbaity maybe out of context but it's kind of saying like we need to look at what steve cohen's doing and and he sounded kind of upset that cohen was spending so much and kind of going against the precedent of the rest of the league 
if I'm a Yankees fan, and maybe you don't have a take on this, I'm kind of pissed. Like, what happened to this rich, evil empire? They're being outdone. The Yankees are the little brother right now. I think this is so interesting. I have no lost love for the fans of the New York Yankees. You know, they <laughs> when I grew up in the 80s, the Yankees were bad. And I yeah. remember growing up thinking, yeah, they're just kind of an also-ran. And I, I didn't, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't know the history you know, of the franchise. And obviously they got back to an elite level over and over and over again. But, you know, I mean, this is a team that we're talking about the stars aligning for the Brewers. Like the stars never have to align for the Yankees to get to the World Series. They've been in this boat year in, year out. The Mets have had some hard times. So at least I can I can tolerate the Mets rising up and maybe maybe finally competing for for New York's heart or whatever. But, yeah, I don't care about the Yankees. I don't care about their 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 stand you know how how the fans feel about the franchise and, and who's captain and you know who's a true yankee and all yeah. that garbage you know there's so much uh it's, there's there's so so many other franchises that just have to fight for a small piece of the pie that the uh, that the new york franchises don't take a hold of so uh what however they feel fine with me if they're unhappy about it <laughs> no love lost really quickly I, I said that was the last thing do you think the packers went on sunday Are you excited for christmas football i don't know that i love having to watch a packer game on christmas not gonna lie well, I, I guess I'd rather watch the Bucks on Christmas. I'm, yeah. I've gotten used to the NBA thing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, do I think they're going to win? Well, I certainly – I do because I, I, I love the chaos that could stem from it. I sure. love the idea that they stay alive one more week. I mean, they are not the better team, and they should absolutely lose. And they, I don't know, the way the defense is played, I think they probably will. But, yeah. uh, but man, there's just – as frustrating as Aaron Rodgers can be sometimes, the man uh, the man has done this before, and uh, and the Packers organization does seem to be have a, have a little bit of blessing where they kind of just never ever quite go away. I could see them winning and and making things interesting. I mean, I I, I think there is a possibility that the last week of the season, January eighth. Oh, I want it. The Lions, the Lions and the Packers are playing with something on the line, you know, and maybe. Maybe that ends up being just for Detroit's sake and not for Green Bay's, but I feel like that game is going to matter and. Uh, Man, you got to hand it to the Packers for even when they're bad, they seem like they, they they just don't often go away. There was that four win season a little while back, so they're you know it's not it's not universally true, but they always seem to linger in the picture longer than uh, longer than they realistically should. I think something weird is going to happen in this game. Some weird special teams play, some weird rule that we have. I don't know. Packers in Miami on Christmas. It just I don't know. I think we're going to be writing some bizarre stories and talking about something weird. But we'll, uh, we'll see. Keyshawn Nixon with a big kickoff return that turns the tide or something. Yeah. Like that. I don't know. F. When I think of Miami, I think of that fake spike in 2014. Just something weird and out of the ordinary. I, I don't know. That's kind of what I'm bracing for on, on Sunday. Yeah. JR? It, it, yes. It's yes. not just Miami. It's all of Florida. You know, the yeah. whole Floridian thing is like every, everything in Florida. They've never played well there. But, yeah, I think of the fake spike. That was a wild game. That was a, that was actually a really good time. Yeah, that was a really good team in 2014, too. We don't need to relitigate the 2014 season and how that thing ended i appreciate you jr right before ho- the holidays i know you're probably busy and you're doing family stuff and i just wanted to chat baseball with you and i hope we get to talk about some exciting brewers news somewhere down the line yeah i, I i'm guessing there's going to be some some transactions soon i'm guessing somewhere in the next three weeks the brewers are going to add some people and people will calm down a little bit but yeah it'll be great to talk baseball hopefully there's uh, there's a lot more to say here before the uh, season gets going thanks jr have a great christmas yep you as well merry christmas jr rad radcliffe excuse <laughs> Tripping over my words. J.R. Radcliffe, a sweet treat. A little baseball conversation in the middle of the week as we get ready for the NBA on Christmas and the Packers playing the Dolphins. Ona Bam's listening. We love that. The goaded Brewers account tweets in, what a segment with J.R. Radcliffe on the Wisco Sports Show. You better believe we caught that imaginary golf reference. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I could break down for an entire hour the brand new restaurant, the the Jacob and John Leinenkugel's Tap House Poor Room 
at American Family Field or whatever it's called. Again, I have no disrespect for Lining Kugels at all. I grew up in in Lining Kugels country in the 715, the Chippewa Valley. Uh, but I can't remember for the life of me what that restaurant is called. Let's let's fire up the PR machine a little bit, Brewers. You forced imaginary golf down our throat for seven months. You can't do a second tweet on the new restaurant? Come on. Let's take a break. We'll uh, debrief on everything we discussed with JR, and we'll turn things over to the Packers at 5 o'clock. It's the Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. We appreciate the time of J.R. Radcliffe, not J.R. Smith. I've probably misspoken more than once tonight to call them J.R. Smith. It's Thursday. We've been in the NBA lounge. I got the association on the brain. Follow J.R. on Twitter. He's one of the best follows in all of Wisconsin sports reporting, I guess. He doesn't specifically belong to any one particular beat. He can come and go. He's like the fun uncle, right? Like the dad and the mom, they sometimes got to you know, bring the hammer down and bring some discipline. The teacher, right? The coach, they get, you know, they, they got to sometimes deliver the hard news. JR's like the uncle. He's the fun uncle of Wisconsin sports Twitter and that he can kind of come and go and interject when it's fun. And it's not really his responsibility to cover anything that's not fun. He's the trending sports reporter. Man, what a life. I love JR. And it's fun to talk baseball a little bit and get away from the Aaron Rodgers drama. Although... I, I give ourselves a pat on the back. We've, for the most part, avoided the Aaron Rodgers drama this week. Not that it's drama. It's just people talking to talk. Coming up in a couple of minutes, I do want to switch to the Packers. I do want to switch to the Packers. I want to talk about the stakes. What's on the line this weekend other than playoff positioning, the mathematical elimination thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that's on the line. I want to talk about what's on the line for football fans with Packers-Dolphins this weekend. We'll get into that. And I have... One thing to ask of Joe Barry. Just one thing, right? I understand it's Christmas. I don't have a list 12 things long. I don't need a partridge in a pear tree. I don't need five golden rings. I just need one thing from Joe Barry and his defense this weekend. I'll explain what that is. We'll talk Packers Dolphins. And in a little bit, we'll talk with Mike Clemens. Wisco Sports Show back in two minutes. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I did. We're going to get some water. I was thirsty. <laughs> this is the Wisco Sports Show. I was checking Twitter over at the Water Fountain, which maybe slowed me down. Got a tweet here at Wisco Grant from Mike, who is in Eau Claire. We, we've got a weird Eau Claire dynamic thing going on right now. We got Mike in Eau Claire, who's really coming for next this week. 
And then Clinton Eau Claire, who's upset. And then Eau Claire Chris. Like, we need to get our Eau Claire hierarchy figured out. Anyways, Mike in Eau Claire tweets in, says, Excited for tomorrow. Friday is always great, especially when you hear J.R. Smith before. Yeah, we did have J.R. Smith at 4.30. Did you you catch that? Great interview. J.R. Smith, the trending sports reporter, the Journal Sentinel. J.R. Radcliffe. Apologies again to JR. But Mike, you are correct. You do never want to miss a Friday show. I want to make t-shirts. I have so many t-shirt ideas for the show. One is never miss a Friday show. Um, it would be kind of sick to just make Edmund Fitzgerald shirts. I don't know who would buy such things. Speaking of, I, I don't know who this is for. I'm on Photoshop for the last hour putting together the Wisco Sports Show Christmas card and the Wisco Sports Show Christmas letter. I'll probably end up tweeting them both out and putting them both on Facebook. But if you want them emailed to you, you know, traditional, as the holiday should be traditional, DM me on Twitter or message the Wisco Sports Show Facebook page with your email. Or just tweet. I mean, tweet it at me, too, if you don't mind putting your email out there. And I will send you uh, the Christmas letter and the Christmas card. And then if you want to print it off and put it on the fridge, you know, print it off and read it, you know, then you can do it. But I, I'm, I'm working on the, the Christmas card and the Christmas letter. As we speak. So get at me on social media if you want me to send it to you. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope you're having an outstanding night. Drive slow. It is freezing cold. It's only going to get windier. It's only going to get colder, and the roads are probably only going to get worse. So take it slow. Take it easy. Yeah, it'll take a little longer to get to your destination, but that's just more time for us to share together, correct? Right. You can call and text the show if you'd like, 608-796-2558. And as I said, I'm on Twitter at Wisco Grant. There's a Facebook show for the or a Facebook page for the show as well, which I should probably do a better job managing. But it can be a New Year's resolution. Perfect. Yeah, I can. That's my excuse. That's a next year problem. I want to get into the Packers. See, we did a lot of bucks. We did the NBA Lounge. We talked to Jr. I want to get into the Packers. I think there's a lot of a lot on the line this weekend for the Packers. Not just for the Packers and their fans, but for the entire NFL. I think there's a lot on the line for the Packers and the Dolphins in that game this weekend. And I realized this last night on the Thrill Michaels huddle when I joined Bill at about 7 o'clock. And he asked me, hey, great, excited for the game this Sunday? Or I don't remember what he asked. And I said, Bill, Bill, this game needs to be good. Because look at the rest of the games this weekend. Most are on Saturday. This is the slate. Bill's Bears. Saints Browns. Texans, Titans, gross, yuck, and uh-uh. First three at noon. I will pass, hard pass on all three of those games. Seahawks, Chiefs, Giants, Vikings, Bengals, Patriots, Lions, Panthers, Falcons, Ravens. Mm, eh, not, to, not to be picky, not, not to be choosy here, but I'm not rushing my TV for any of those. We're into the 3 o'clock games now. Commanders, 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, Raiders, Steelers. Look, Eagles, Cowboys had potential to be an unbelievable game. But things have transpired over the last seven days, right? Jalen Hurts is injured. I I have not been tracking his injury closely. I'm not sure if he's going to play this weekend. Even if he does or if he doesn't, it's not really a big deal because the Cowboys blew that game last week in Jacksonville. So any seeding potential or seeding ramifications in this game? Eh. Kind of lost luster last Sunday when the Cowboys blew it. Divisional seeding ramifications this game are kind of gone and out the window. Seahawks, Chiefs, I guess. 
Seattle's novelty has kind of worn off. I'm still happy for them, and they're still a fun team. I just don't need to commit a lot of time to watching them. I will, however, always watch Patrick Mahomes because he's the best player in the league. He is special, and I will just always take an opportunity to watch that guy. But I don't care about the Commanders. I don't care about the Giants. I've been steadfast in my opinion of that portion of the NFC East. Since early on this season, I said the Giants are winning games good for them, but they are not good. Much of the same with the Commanders. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not... I'm not doing the necessary legwork in my mind to convince myself that the commanders are worth watching. They are quarterbacked by Taylor Heineke and they're coached by Ron Rivera. Yes, they have good skill position players and that makes them sort of fun. Their jerseys also kind of bother me and that's saying a lot because they're maroon and gold and my alma mater, Menominee High School, five golden rings under Joe Labuda's reign, by the way, count them and kiss them each and every one. I love maroon and gold and those jerseys still suck. And Taylor Heineke annoys me. I don't know why. It's just looking at him. It's, it's, I don't know. It's something about that I just, just don't like. I don't know. It's a personal thing. I don't care about the Giants. I don't care about the Commanders. Steelers Raiders is gross. Now, I might watch that game because I like watching Devontae Adams. And the skill position players, again, for the Raiders are kind of fun. But their defense is a sieve. Their coach is, I, I don't know. I don't know. Part of me thinks that McDaniels is a good coach and his team is just really unlucky. But then again, if you blow a double-digit halftime lead four or five times in a season, part of that has to go on the coach, correct? Like, that can't all be luck. There has to be coaching involved. The Steelers are 6-8, and eight and they're the Steelers. I didn't have a lot of fun watching the Steelers last year or the year before or the year before when they at least had a franchise name-brand quarterback. I certainly don't like watching them now. I say all that to say this. Find me the game this weekend that I need to watch. The game's on Sunday. Broncos, Rams, gross. Buccaneers, Cardinals. The Cardinals are on an FBI list for me. They're they're on a no-fly list for the rest of the year for me. Trace McSorley starting that game. I'm out. The Buccaneers, I suppose I'll watch because it's on. It's Sunday night. Chargers, Colts. I'm out on the Colts after last weekend. Packers, Dolphins is the one game the entire weekend where I'm like, that could be fun. There's playoff ramifications. There's seeding ramifications for both teams. It's kind of a fun matchup. It's in a fun location. It's a little out of the ordinary. It's a little wacky. It's a little weird and wacky, which is good. Other than that, I got nothing this weekend. Packers-Dolphins needs to be good. It needs to be entertaining. And dare I say, the second best game on the slate for this entire week, Jaguars-Jets tonight? I all of a sudden want to watch the Jags. Oh, my, my, my. I'm kind of pulling for Doug Peterson. I'm kind of pulling for Trevor Lawrence. I might be kind of pulling for the Jets, too. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. I'm going to watch New York, and I'm going to watch Jacksonville tonight. And this might be the game that I'm most interested in, aside from Packers-Dolphins this weekend. Bills-Bears, maybe. It's a divisional matchup. I guess I kind of care. I'm just sick of the Giants. Sorry, Vikings fans. It's not personal, although I personally hate your team, so I guess it is personal. I'm done with the Seahawks. Texans and Titans, is that should be blacked out. The, the, the United States government should intercede. The ATF, Homeland, someone get involved with that. Bengals, Patriots. I feel like the Patriots might sneaky pull an upset in that game, and yet I'm still not interested. Lions, Panthers, I like watching the Lions, but God, the Panthers? Ugh. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that. I don't want that. Packers, Dolphins needs to be fun, needs to be wacky. It needs to be entertaining. I, I'm going to say... A new category for a game. Packers-Dolphins is our Jimmy Buffett fins-up game of the week. 
It needs to be lighthearted. It needs to transport us to a more fun, more warm, more entertaining place. Packers-Dolphins is our Jimmy Buffett fins-up game of the week. It's our fruitcake game of the week. And I think the Packers can win this game. We were talking last night on the Bill Michaels huddle. Again, I just whatever, I go on Bill's show. It's no big deal. <laughs> I told Bill last night, and I want to talk about this again. For the Packers to win out, the offense will need to put together their best stretch of the season. Okay, They're going to have to have against the Dolphins, the Vikings, and the Lions their most consistent, most effective, most explosive stretch of football all year. And the case is there to be made that they haven't had their best stretch of offense yet. No, maybe this is as good as it's going to get. And we're going to look back and think, "Eh, the offense never really got off the ground. The offense never really found its stride. The offense never really put it all together. But there is a case to be made that they are in the process of putting it all together, and it's going to culminate and come together against the Dolphins, the Vikings, and the Lions. I have a couple reasons, a couple bullet points. Bullet point number one, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs are finally healthy together. Watson has been a difference maker by himself. A couple of numbers I saw on Twitter today. This was from everybody's favorite guy, Pete Bukowski. Since week 10, which was the Cowboys game when Christian Watson busted out, the Packers are third in offensive DVOA. I think there are reasons for that, but by far the biggest reason is Christian Watson, his explosiveness, his size, his speed, his big playability, and his explosiveness and dynamism that a defense must respect. It's gravity. Him being on the field has an effect on many different things, right? Watson is the explosive player, and Dobbs is the precision guy, the possession guy. I think of James Jones. James Jones is never faster, bigger, but right place, right time, would catch tough balls, and on third down, in the red zone, and got to have it situations, you can trust his hands. I know James Jones is also prone to drops, but it seemed like the big ones he would pull in. I think this is a great combo, and I think down the stretch, these two could really do some nice things. They have not been healthy and dialed in together at any point this season. And here we are headed into Miami this weekend and headed into the final three games with them both healthy and available. That's reason number one. I think this offense might be able to have their best stretch of football. Reason number two, the offensive line has settled into their reality. David Bakhtiari is not going to play. He might practice tomorrow. I read today, but Friday is a walkthrough. Friday is meetings. So I, I hope he practices tomorrow. I hope he participates. Friday practice statuses are just approximations. If they were to do a full contact, hard-hitting, padded practice today, what would the designation be? It's an approximation on Friday. I don't think David Bakhtiar is playing again this year. And I think this Packers offensive line in the offensive line room decided weeks ago, look, Dave, you do you. If you can play, great. If not, great. We're just going to assume that you're never playing again. And we're going to operate under that assumption Every single week. Zach Tom, I'm going to assume that I'm playing every week. Yash Nijman, I'm going to assume I'm playing right tackle every week. I'm going to assume that you are not available. And we're going to operate under that assumption. We're going to practice under that assumption. We're going to prepare under that assumption. And I think that consistency, finally a a measure of consistency, has really helped this offensive line settle in and gel together. They've also played some lackluster opponents. The Bears have nobody up front that can wreak havoc and rush the passer and blow up plays. The Rams without Aaron Donald, that's, that's, a, that's a nice situation to be in. Now, the defensive front of the Dolphins is pretty good. They got Jalen Phillips. They got Bradley Chubb. They got other players that can make plays up front. Andrew Van Ginkle, who's a known playmaker. Christian Wilkins, right? So it gets a little more challenging this weekend. But I think ever since this offensive line room flipped a switch and said, 
Dave, we love you. Come back and play when you're healthy, but we're just going to go about our business as if you're never going to play again. And we're going to prepare like that. We're going to install game plans. We're going to carry our mindset like you're never playing again. And I think that's been a nice step. And I think that's helped the offensive line gel. That's reason number two. Reason number three. And this is the simplest reason of all. Aaron Rodgers is finally healthy. Or as close to healthy as you can get at this point in the season. When everyone's dealing with a nagging injury. When everyone's dealing with cuts and nicks and scrapes and bumps and bruises and and stretched muscles and sore things. His thumb is as good as it's been. His ribs are as good as they've been. Rodgers is finally healthy. Now, he's still prone to bad throws, to, to brain farts, to misses, and we saw one this last you know week against the Rams. We saw one against the Bears with Randall Cobb. He's still prone to mistakes, but hopefully fewer mistakes and hopefully not mistakes that are made on behalf of pain in his ribs. Uh, an inability to grip the football, as I think maybe we saw at the end of the Titans game on Thursday Night Football. Hopefully, Rodgers' mistakes are not being made because of injuries. Hopefully, Rodgers at age 39 is just prone to a miss here and there. Now, we can live with that if the offense is clicking at a high enough level and the defense is not a complete and total disaster. But what we can't have is Aaron Rodgers missing a throw or missing a read and then also missing some throws because of his thumb or also missing some throws because of his ribs. We need to cut down on the misses. And if the misses are just Aaron Rodgers being 39 years old, okay, well, we planned for this. We, we, we designed a team knowing that that might be the case. 608-796-2558, a couple of reasons why I think this offense may have all the right pieces to put it together. If we believe our eyes and we believe you know, 14 weeks of precedent up until this point, they won't. But again, the argument is there to be made. The case is there to be made. I- I'm just going to be the one to make it. couple of tweets here. H tweets in and says, tuning in late. Bucks Celtics love on Christmas Day. Yes, I cannot wait to watch that game. I- I'm very glad that the Packers and the Bucks aren't on at the same time. That is the crown jewel of the sporting day is Bucks Celtics. They haven't played yet this season. They're the first and second best team in the NBA in the standings and I think in public perception and maybe in the betting markets, although I haven't looked. For those who are, you know, poo-pooing the NBA, look, if folks tune in to watch Broncos-Rams, which is going to be Baker Mayfield on the 4-10 and Rams versus Russell Wilson on the 4-10 and Broncos, if people tune into that game over Bucks-Celtics, there's nothing the NBA can do. That's, that's, not some, that's not some referendum on the NBA being political or, or too many travels. Those people are just never going to watch NBA, and that's fine. Luke the Lawhand tweets in at Wisco Grant says, Wisco Sports Show, Eddie Fitz shirts? Yes, please. Well, I'm thinking, I I don't know. I, I got a couple of t-shirt designs that I've been kicking around in my head. I think it'd be badass to have an Edmund Fitzgerald t-shirt. And I think it'd be badass to have like a, like a Grateful Dead fish hippie design with a never miss a Friday show. I think that'd be really funny. But th- these ideas live in my head. Right now, I'm, I'm executing another idea. I'm in the process during commercial breaks and today and tomorrow of getting our Uh, show Christmas card and Christmas letter completed. So again, if you want me to send that to you, I'm probably just going to tweet it out at some point, but if you want me to email it to you old school style, DM me on Twitter at Wisco Grant, text me your email address 608-796-2558. And I will, uh, I will send the card and the letter out to you. Let's take a three minute break. Come back. I want to talk about Joe Barry and the one thing I ask of his defense this Christmas Sunday, we'll get to Mike Clemens after that at five 30, a lot more Packers talk and a lot more of the Wisco sports show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm writing the show Christmas letter right now. And all I can think of is one of the better episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond when Marie writes the family Christmas letter uh, and kind of makes Deborah, you know, sound like a dork. And then the line about Frank is great. It's like, Frank's love affair with bacon continues. So I'm trying to work some of the guests in some of the callers into this letter. I can only fit so many. So far, I have a blurb about David Monona and a blurb on Eric on I-90. It's as far as I've got. So stay tuned. I'm sending out the show Christmas letter and Christmas card before too long. 608-796-2558. If you want to join the show, you have about 10 minutes to do so because we got to get Mike Clemens on the horn and we're going to break down Packers Dolphins with him and what he's seen in Green Bay throughout this week. Before this last break, I made the case that the Packers offense might be about to turn it on. The argument is there to be made. The the tea leaves are there. All signs point to maybe, possibly, yeah, the offense could figure it out. Watson and Dobbs are healthy. Christian Watson has been dialed in and had a huge impact on this offense ever since he busted out against the Cowboys in Week 10. The complement of Romeo Dobbs with him is going to make a big difference, and we saw made a pretty big difference on Monday night. The offensive line has settled into... I think a stable situation. They've just assumed, yep, Bakhtiari's not going to play. We're going to operate under that assumption. That makes it easier. And Aaron Rodgers is as healthy as he's been. I want to make the case for Joe Barry's defense and just plead one thing of Joe Barry's defense. One thing. It's all I ask for. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. First, let's talk to Mark. 608-796-2558. What's up, Mark? Hey, Grant. Happy holidays. Happy holidays Um, to you, too. Yeah, Packers offense. The other key, I think, is the philosophy that I maybe Aaron Rodgers has decided to embrace that, hey, my running game, I can lean on. I can feed yeah. the ball to A.J. Dillon, and I can feed the ball to Aaron Jones, whether it's handoffs or short little passes, and let them go eat. I think A.J. Dillon is one of those running backs that if he gets into a rhythm and he gets warmed up, he gets better. And this is the time of year where more running – breaks down defenses later on in a game and can be a benefit. I think the team has, yes, figured out their identity slowly but surely. I think it's taken a little bit too long. Better late than never, but no, I think you're absolutely correct. And A.J. Dillon, I can't explain it, just gets better as the year goes on. I I don't know if that's just because he hits harder. I don't know if that's because of the colder weather. I I don't know. I I don't know, but he looks better now than he ever had. I mean, he looked like a non-factor six weeks ago. Yeah. Agreed. I think once he gets, I want he gets more touches and he feels better about what what his place is, and he just gets to do more. That just builds his menta- his mentality of I'm just going to run people over, and he does. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the biggest key. That's another big key I think that's very important. And uh, I'll let you get on with Joe Barry, and you have yourself uh, a happy holidays, there, sir. You as well, Mark. Happy holidays and a merry Christmas to you and yours. And stay warm, stay safe if you're traveling this weekend. It's gonna get nasty i'm supposed to drive to the twin cities tomorrow night after the show and i just i don't know we'll see you never know with the weather i just the more and more that i read and and follow the storm that just seems like it's a really bad idea i i hope that that doesn't end up being the case but i feel like i might be stuck because driving tomorrow night from six to nine does not sound like the best idea we'll see so drive safe and travel safe mark and merry christmas to you and yours my ask of joe barry's defense is not a big one I set the bar very low. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and Raheem Mostert. They all have home run potential. Just keep it in the ballpark. That's all I ask. 
I want a Jason Alexander-esque performance from Joe Barry's defense. You're going to give up some singles. You're going to give up some doubles. Make them earn those singles and doubles. Make the batter go down and dig out a breaking ball. Make him pull his hands in and take the ball the other way. Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, really good hitter. They're going to put the ball in play and they're going to get hits. Don't, don't miss. Don't give them 91 right down the pipe. Don't hang a breaking ball. Keep the ball in the ballpark. Right? And and let's exit this baseball analogy, and I'll actually directly say what I mean. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle are really good wide receivers. They're really fast. They're really dynamic. Just keep a defender within eight yards of them. Like, I don't want two to drop back to pass. He throws down the field, and then as the camera is panning, I sigh out of frustration because when the ball gets there, I realize Tyree Kill has no one within 12 yards of him. The way we felt with Justin Jefferson in week one, I want to avoid that. Defensively, can, can we just... Look like we understand what's going on out there. If we do that, I'm happy. Again, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, they're going to make plays. Can you make them earn those plays? Right? With Raheem Mostert, can we allow fewer than 10 yards per carry? Can we avoid a rerun of the NFC Championship game in 2019? Can we just keep the ball in the ballpark? Make the Dolphins play small ball. Make them earn it. I'm not saying play bend but don't break. I'm just saying don't hang any change-ups right down the pipe. Okay? Can we not blow any coverages? Can we not let guys run wild through space? Can we not give up 10 or 12 yards of carry? If we can do that, I will live with the result on the defensive side of the ball. Firefighter Greg texts in and says, watch out for Mostert just saying, all right, oh, uh, Firefighter Greg, I, I think Raheem Mostert's still running after that tw- 2019 NFC Championship game. <laughs> you ever anyone make that terrible joke? Oh, I, I, I watch out for Raheem Mostert. I still fear him. I still see him. In my nightmares, when I closed my eyes and remember the 2019 NFC Championship game, I felt like Bo Pelini, Melvin Gordon, Monte Ball, and James White running all over my team wondering what the heck happened. They Bo Pelini'd us, firefighter Greg. How could I forget? I will watch out for Raheem Mostert. I worry about Joe Barry's ability to do the same. Just keep the ball in the ballpark. Don't let anyone one run wild and free and loose. Nobody within 12 yards. Oh my God, how do you even get that wide open? If we can avoid the play-by-play and the color commentators on Sunday, and I don't know what network this game is on. It's on Fox. So does that mean we have, are we going to have, are we going to have the, the, the A crew? Are we going to have Burkhart and uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson? I, I don't want to hear Greg Olson say, how do you lose Tyreek Hill? He's the one guy you need to account for. The one guy that, that you can't let beat you. I, I would really like to avoid hearing that. Can we avoid that, please? Like like in a 2-0 count, when Jason Alexander throws a meatball right down the pipe and it gets launched over the the golf simulator in left field, or now the Jacob and John Lining and Dick Lining Kugel's Tap House Beer Eatery pour room in left field. Can, can we avoid that? Please and thank you. If we can do that, I will live with the results. We will have a chance. We'll be in the game. But I cannot see Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill running through the secondary wide open with no one within 12 yards. That will kill this team. That will beat this team. If we can avoid that, we have a chance. Send me a tweet at Wisco Grant or send me a text. I got to shut the phone down for a couple minutes because we got to get Mike Clements. We're going to talk about what he's seen in Green Bay at practice and in press conferences this week. And we'll get his thoughts and have some good discussion about what Christmas Day in Miami might look like. Mike Clements joins the Wisco Sports Show. We're back in five minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. 
on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. You know, we got to score points and we need to be in the 30s moving forward. Um, regardless of what our defense does, we score 30 points, we should win those games. But if we can get ahead of teams at home, we got three out of four at home, you know, we can put some things together, I think. Show. Mike, you read my mind. I saved a couple of Christmas songs. I like breaking out the classics. Bruce Springsteen is great. I got a little Andy Williams. Well, we're on the Save Wayne Lake, my friend, this week. No, it's fun, man. And, you know, we got listeners that are now probably starting to wrap up from work. They're trying to hurry up and get out. And maybe they had a little Christmas party or something with their coworkers, but they're trying to figure out how they can get to be with family. And, you know, it, it's it, what gets us in the mood and it separates Christmas, and then we got a football game on Christmas Day uh, to watch. But you know, here's the thing: uh, this season, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I walk out of this locker room, Grant, and I go, you know, what what's the meaning of all this? Yeah. Because I could uh, in August in training camp, I could, and everybody was really hyping up the defense. But I could have told you, maybe you know, ten and seven. You know, you you can't win thirteen games. Uh, a regular season, four, five, six sure. years in a row. You just can't. And it was it was inflated on what they were doing, you know, last year. But you know, the point is, where are you in December? And they are improving. And it's nice that I've got a variety of different players, not the same old guys, to talk to today. So one is Adrian Amos, though. He's a go-to guy in the locker room. And you talk about facing the speed now that this Dolphins offense has got, and Mike. Uh, McDaniel, who had worked with Lafleur in Houston uh, at the Redskins, uh, then Redskins, and then the Falcons, uh, and then has been offensive coordinator and under Shanahan. He's a really smart guy, and he has been able to assemble some weapons in the big trade for Tree Kill. They gave away a whole bunch of uh, you know draft picks, and so now they're using speed guys like Tree Kill and then this Jalen Waddle, and Adrian says, "Yeah, we saw that." couple years ago in Kansas City against the Chiefs. I know my time playing, nobody has been faster than what Tariq Hill is. And then you got Waddle, who's not too far behind in speed. They fast. I mean, they can run. It's the same with, you know, when, you, when you was playing Kansas City a couple years ago when you had, was it Harmon? Yeah, Harmon and, and uh, Tariq. So um, similar in, in that, that you got, you know, two guys that can, that can really run. Mike, right before I had Yana, I was talking about Joe Barry and, and the defense and what I'm looking for from that defense this weekend. Just no jailbreaks, right? I, I don't want any plays where there's no one within 10 or 12 yards of Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, they're really good. They're going to make plays. No blown coverages. Don't give up any home runs, right? Just keep the ball in the ballpark. That's what I'm looking for. If they can just do that, I'm, I'm going to be happy. I think that's fair enough because yeah. your point is, okay, if someone is is chasing or trailing Tyreek, at least he yes. was accounted for. Exactly. Yep. But if this guy is standing wide open, forty five yards down the left hand side of the field, because they may they made you bite for some play action to the right or something, you know, outside a tackle, well, then you know he should just keep Joe in Florida and don't let him back on the plane for Green Bay. Yeah. The Raiders. Under Josh McDaniels and the new regime out there, I mean, it seems like they're trying to cut anything and everything that Mike Mayock made as a GM with John Gruden. 
But to me, it's like, you know, they've given up these players like Keyshawn Nixon, uh, other players that have gotten loose, you know, around the league. The Raiders stink this year. Maybe they should have hung on to some of these guys. Another one is the former Badger fullback Alec Ingold, who I remember getting it to. I don't get to cover Badgers much. Um, you know, Zach does for us. But I did get to talk to him at Combine, and I thought, oh, this guy is made for the NFL. And why those guys released him. But, hey, the Dolphins have, have picked him up, and Adrian Amos says, yeah, they're putting him in good spots. He's athletic. They move him around, um, kind of like the 49ers use um, uh, 44 um, a little bit. So, you know, he, he can do multiple things. He lines up at fullback and uh, lines up at tight end um, and does different things like that. So um, when we playing against somebody, I'm aware, I'm aware of whoever they got. It's the league. I don't take, you know, anybody lightly. I think a, a fullback is only as useful as an offensive coordinator's imagination, Mike. Like, if you can come up with ideas and ways to use an athletic guy who can run and catch and block, great, then he's useful. But if an offensive coordinator isn't going to be imaginative and can't think up ways to use a useful player like that, then, yeah, like, a lot of teams don't use a fullback. But for Mike McDaniel, or, or uh, that's his name, right? Yeah, in Miami, a useful player because he can find ways to use him. And that's what this guy is doing. I mean, some of that talent was there before he got there this year. They have been, you know, graduated. Chris Greer is their GM. Now, Greer's actually been with the organization almost 20 years, working his way up the ranks. He's actually been GM the last four or five years, working for Stephen Ross, who, you know, in some ways is a bad owner. But um, uh, uh, the thing about McDaniel is some of these different formations coming out of San Francisco – and when you talk to Adrian, he says that the 21 is the toughest. But you know why? Because when, you, when you're standing back there at safety and you see two running backs and you're trying to say, okay, where did the tight end go? And then you see where the wideouts are. Mm-hmm. It's like, is it a pass? Is it a run? And yeah. here's Adrian. You can get, you know, out of 21 personnel, you can get into 12 sets and stuff like that. When your fullback can play tight end, when your fullback can spread out wide, you can get into different looks. And then you can't get a beat on what they're trying to do in each personnel. Interesting. It's very Shanahanian, if that's a good word. Like, yeah. There's just so much crossover, which worries me because the Packers have not fared well against that style of offense, especially with no. Raheem Mostert in the backfield. Great. We're doing this again, you know. Yeah, and guess where he is now? In Miami, right? So um, uh, the other thing that was of interest was just about the quarterback. And everybody kind of has this this image that Tua is another one of these Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, scrambling, rambling quarterback. No, he's always he's always done a pretty good job of staying in the pocket. Yeah. And then, you know, I asked LaFleur, it looks like he has definitely taken a step up. He's also battled injuries as well, maybe not such a very good pass protection behind a very good line. And LaFleur says, yep, there's no question about it since his former co-worker and friend, uh, McDaniel, has gotten into Miami. Uh, you can see that Tua is doing a better job of figuring out what the defense is trying to do to him. You know, ultimately the players got to go out there. They got to read it the right way. They got to make the correct decisions. And I think that's what you're seeing from him. He's a guy that has been coached the right way in, in regards to reading with his feet. And he's doing a good job getting through his progressions and, and um, getting into the guys that are, you know, open. You know, Tua, I, I just hate how we talk about him because it's so polarized. People either think he's the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. And I think that's the problem with quarterbacks. Sometimes that's a lot of. You know, we have that problem with a lot of things in our life, but two is pretty good with this team. 
but a lot of people want to make it something more or less. And that kind of bothers me. Tua is just Tua, and he fits pretty well for this roster. And I give Mike McDaniel credit for creating a roster and creating an offense that fits him, that suits his quarterback. If he gets if he gets Tariq Hill streaming down the left-hand side and Waddle down the right, and that pulls that secondary back, and then he can still have a late draw handoff to Mostert, I mean, he can do that all day to you. And the question is, does he have enough time in the pocket so the play can develop so he can, you know, chuck one downfield? doesn't take long because those two wideouts are so fast. But, you know, can he, can he come up with that extra second or two with just a step to the left, just a step to the right, rather than go and run outside and now you've, you know, you've broken down the play? That's where he's doing better, and his QBR is going up pretty good. Now, and we were ripping on the Raiders. How about the Packers? I mean, why in the hell did it take them two and a half months before they said they gave Keyshawn Nixon a chance to return? Those half a dozen muffed punt returns by Amari Rodgers, and then they finally just cut him. And so Keyshawn now feeling a little bit more uh, confident in himself, coming out and talk to us in the meet. He talked to us for 20 minutes yesterday, Grant. Yeah. He's wearing his canine hat. That's his nickname. It's it's sort of his brand, canine for Keyshawn. Yeah. And and he he was asked point blank, why did it take this team so long to give you a shot at kickoff return? You know what I'm saying? You never know what's going on in the building. I'm saying I'm just it's bigger than me. They didn't know. I didn't know. Excuse my language, but I didn't really know either. So. It's just a confidence thing, you know what I'm saying? Once they gave me an op and I'm confident and just make plays now. Once you get your confidence as a player, it sky's the limit. I suppose. I just, here's the fair question, and maybe this is the criticism, Mike, because nobody knew that Keyshawn Nixon was a good returner. Here's the question. Why did it take so long to try anyone else? Nixon or anyone else? Why did it take so long to try anyone else at all? I, uh, one thing's for sure. You can stand at practice and... Misachia is trying to get these guys to go at 100% speed, but you, you, when you have no contact, you don't really know. So they're out there, and, you know, first of all, they're just trying to learn the platooning. Like, oh, which am I on this team? Uh, do I line up in the left or the right? That's half the battle. Uh, and then, you know, you try these guys, and you watch their eyes, and you watch their hands. And, you know, can they actually catch the ball and secure the ball? But after that, is the guy going to have the guts to run up the middle? Uh, and, and to these guys, and that's what Nixon does. He's just fearless. So listen to this. He'd already had a couple of big returns on Monday night in the cold, <clears throat> and I put the binoculars on him, and the the, uh, the Rams had just scored a field goal. Yeah. Oh, no, it was, I believe it was the touchdown. It was the touchdown. So I'm watching Keyshawn. There's a long TV timeout, and he's standing there dancing to the music that they're playing in the P.A., then I see him sort of drift over to the Rams, and I, some guy in the Rams sidelines like is, you know, tra- trash talking him, and he's pointing to suit. Says, "You talking to me?" And he's smiling, and he takes his muscles. He's like five nine, five ten. He's flexing his biceps. Look at these guns, man! Look at these guns! And he's shaking his finger. And I, you know, you watch, you watch. And they're, they're back from timeout, and the Rams kickoff team is lined up, and I'm like, dude, you know. And he, he peeks back like, oh, okay. So he shoots back, sets his two feet. Right then, the guy kicks the ball. It's up in the air. And he watches that thing come all the way down. He returns it for 52 yards down the right side. I told him about that. I said, man, you are the 
calmest dude before the kick I've ever seen. Actually, actually, it was they uh, they DN. Uh, I can't remember his name. Um, is it fifty four? Is it that's the name? That's Floyd. Floyd was you know, talking crazy to me on the sideline. Turned me up. Told him I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something with the ball. He told me I wasn't. So I had to prove him wrong. That's what this is about. Did you say anything after that? Yeah, he came to me after the game. Said, "I respect you." You know what I'm saying? That's all you can do in this league is earn other people respect around the league. So once you do that. That's how you know you're a good player in this league. I think being calm before a play, especially on a kick return, Mike, if you're stressed and you're really in your own head about returning punts and kicks, it's just not going to go well. And I think Amari Rogers is probably a pretty good example of that, right? Somebody who's probably beginning to overthink things and worry too much because he knew his opportunities were limited. A, a clear head is, is a good head for a kicker or punt returner. Grant, that's the former Bears linebacker, veteran linebacker, now with the Rams, who got his ring last year with the McVay. That's him on the sideline saying, we gotta, we got to get into this kid's head. He's too good. Yeah. So he starts trash-talking him. He gets him distracted. The kid bites on it. He comes over and says, no, you watch me, man. Look at my guns. Look at my guns. And he takes it back 52 yards. And Floyd comes to him after the game and says, I got respect, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you showed me. Well done. That's good stuff. Yeah. That's great stuff. That's, that's the game, great That's stuff. the game within the game, Mike, and I appreciate you catching that. I saw your tweets the other night. You have a good eye. A.J. Dillon is six foot, but 247, Mr. Quadzilla. And you saw a couple times where there's a big gang of guys on him. Then they had that nice-looking drive coming out of the second half, 11 plays, drive it down the field, and then – he goes in from one yard out. You know, instead of running some stupid pass, use the big guy to get across the goal line for one yard, and he did. But he got hit maybe six or seven times. Rams guys were just drilling him and drilling him. And that's where he kind of had to go leave and get checked out if, in fact, he just had suffered a concussion. Fortunately, that there was not the case. But Quadzilla talked to us about that play. Uh, yeah, that was fun. I mean, you know, I... I didn't realize it until I watched back on the tape, but I know, you know, initially going through, I, I'm, I'm looking down and I see the goal lines right here, and I know I got these couple guys, and I'm like right there, and then all of a sudden I feel the the one, I think Allen hit me first. I'm like, I'll bet we're we're definitely in, and then all of a sudden I feel all these guys coming on top. I'm like, all right. I feel like I wear those guys down over time. A lot of the times you guys don't see that, but you know everybody's picking me up, and I hear those guys complaining about how heavy I am. So uh, you know it's just kind of like a free ride. It put me up on their shoulders. I feel like Rocky. Uh, I got a, a call from a caller, Mark, just a couple minutes before you called me, Mike, and we were talking about AJ Dillon and. There's really no analytical or, or, or specific way to explain how A.J. Dillon works as a player. Like, there's no way to quantify. There's no stat. You can't DVOA it. You can't, you know, rushing yards over expected. He just gets harder to tackle later in the season when it's cold and when guys are beat up. And I don't know if you can put a stat on that. That's not a next-gen stat thing. It's just it's an eye test, and it's something that you see in here if you're down on the field, as A.J. Dillon described. And the, lo- the scouts love how if you're standing there a linebacker and he's 20 yards away and running right at you, all you see is that face mask and elbows flying. And you're like, oh my God, where do I begin to bring this down? It's like trying to bring down a train. So, you know, through this crappy five-game losing streak, uh, yeah, some injuries, uh, particularly at the wide receiver, growth, young players, Defense not coming through, and then losing your best player in Rashawn Gary. Yeah, yeah, November sixth against the Lions. Um, those have been the ups and downs of this team, 
And so Aaron Rodgers was asked, so right now these guys are feeling pretty good about themselves. Hey, maybe we can pull this bunny out of the hat here. Uh, when, what, what, at what point of this season has this year's Packers looked like that if you get to the postseason that it would be worth the while? You know, I think the win against the uh, Cowboys was really important for us. We lost five in a row and many of them not very pretty. So that was kind of our first last stand. And that kind of reminded us we actually can win football games. Now when we lost that in the next two, obviously. But winning changes everything. Uh, winning does a lot of great things. There was opportunities this year for us in the uh, humility of losing multiple games where we got to finally clean some things up that need to be cleaned up. And, yeah, we've obviously played a little bit better the last two weeks against bad teams. Um, now we got to play good against uh, three good teams. Uh, what is is the most important thing, and what is is that we're still playing a meaningful football game on Christmas and, and got a chance uh, to have a lot of things in front of us. Now, obviously, we'll be watching Saturday, and there's some things need to go away. But we're going to go down and get a win. And then I said a few weeks ago, we just get one and we get another one. Things look a little bit different going into this game and get this one. Things look a little bit different going into the next one. Well, I do subscribe to this one win makes a difference theory. I, it's a little less of a serious theory when you're six and eight and they need as much help as they do. But I do agree one win rolls into another. I just think it's starting to get real late here, Mike. Yeah, it is very late. But um, I, at the bottom line, though, People are auditioning for their jobs. Now, then when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I am so tired of people asking aging quarterbacks in Green Bay in December, are you going to be back next year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the only thing that makes me more tired is that they answer the question. Yeah. So uh, I'll just leave it at this. You know, uh, it came up on the McAfee show, and then one of the younger writers asked them again, and here was Aaron Rodgers' answer, uh, the, this week's answer about what his future is in Green Bay. Well, I think first and foremost, it's going to be my own physical and mental health and, and how I'm feeling about committing to, uh, you know, another year, two, three down the road, uh, that grind. But those relationships are really important to me. And it's more than just those guys. I think there's three or four other guys on offense who have kind of unsettled futures. So I'm sure keeping those guys around would definitely give me something to look forward to. I just think he's talking to talk, which is fair. Like, I, I, I don't know. I just think something. You know what I think he's doing? Go ahead, yeah. You know what I think he's doing? I think he's coming back. I think he's excited by Watson and Dobbs and some of these other things. And I think he's just trying to appease his buddy Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis. Like, hey, man, I tried. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's. I have thought about that. I think, honestly, God, I'm I'm pretty darn sure that's really what's going on. But so, in the meantime, let's have a little drama because I can still get a couple more, you know, trendings on Twitter. Yeah, Floor. I asked him, is he going to leave earlier for, for Christmas, or what are they going to do to get to Florida? Oh, no. We did kick the travel back a little bit, but it was more, it had more to do with the holiday, less to do with the weather. Just leave it later on Saturday? Correct. Do you make contingency plans for tomorrow if roads are bad and guys can't get here? It's Green Bay, right? We'll have everybody get their snowmobiles out for us, like they did in Buffalo. That is true. They, they don't live that far from the stadium. They can figure it out. It's a small place, Mike. Packer fans show up to shovel the stadium, man. Hey, hey, they'll, they'll take Aaron Rodgers to the airport, no problem. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, you're right on that. So um, that's it. Um, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting game. Uh, I, I think it's very much in the favor of the Green Bay Packers that it's going to be mostly cloudy, 40% chance of showers, temperature around 60 degrees. That's a whole lot better than... 95, I watched week three, Bills at Dolphins, 
And, I mean, Buffalo, there were some plays that were extended, seven, eight, ten seconds, and where they'd have to take a, an official's timeout because at least three offensive linemen from Buffalo had heat stroke. It was that bad. So, you know, this, this gives these guys a fighting chance. It gives the Packers a break. They've been, hey, they're practicing inside the Hudson Center, and, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers can, can throw the ball around in 60-degree temperatures, absolutely. Yeah, it's been nice. They get a nice little vacation and Christmas down south. They get a Jimmy Buffett Christmas. That's the way I'm going to think about it. Mike, That's it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Enjoy the game and have a very Merry Christmas, Mike. I appreciate you, and we'll talk soon. You too, Grant. You're the best, buddy. See ya. You as well. That's Mike Clemens on Twitter, at Mike Clemens NFL. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.